Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 37 Years Podcast. We're doing this on Zoom tonight, which is a, a little bit different because we also have a special guest. So Mike Dubin here, along with my son, Matt. Hi, Matt. What's up, everybody? Hope everybody's having a good uh, Thursday. Yeah, and we have our returning friend of the pod, Avery from Cleveland, has joined us. Now, Avery is a an expert on a few different subjects in addition to be a Cle a Cleveland fan um which we're going to talk he was on when we talked about the Indians playing the Mets now he's going to be on talking about the Knicks playing the Cavs but unbelievably his football team is the Los Angeles Chargers who is the next uh the next opponent of the, of, of the Jets so how are you doing Avery wonderful glad to be back on the pod it's been been too long all right, man. Well, good. Well, we'll get to you in a moment because we need to start off with what we call the miracle at MetLife, which was um, I, I couldn't believe what was happening in this game. I mean, I was sitting there in a deep depression late Sunday afternoon um, thinking the Jets had lost to the Giants. It was um, it was 10-7 and Graham Gano lined up a field goal and Will McDonald jumped and he didn't jump over the center, but he jumped to the side of the center. If you look on the uh, films on the internet, and I'll talk about that in a second. Graham Gano missed it. Now, Graham Gano's already out for the season, which is kind of funny, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then all of a sudden, the Jets had the ball, and Zach Wilson, who hadn't done anything, looked like the second coming of Johnny Unitas for the rest of the game. Um, unbelievable pass to, to Garrett Wilson. Uh, and then this beautiful strike to Lazard, and then they learned from the Denver game that they were able to spike the ball, Zerline field goal, um, overtime, uh, Giants three and out, and then uh, one or two passes, and then a pass interference, Zerline field goal, and the Jets are four and three. Who could figure? Matt, what was going through your mind Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I felt like on that last Kayvon Thibodeau sack, I, I thought it, the game was lost for the Jets, and I think miraculously they somehow came back to win the game and uh the the jets like we've said that in previous pods the jets haven't won games like this in the past ever in my recent memory besides the the cleveland game last year i think that was a little reminiscent of that in some ways but this was true, even true yeah this was even crazier and i think it just shows the grit of this jets team uh a, a lot to work on an offense to be honest with you we'll get more into that but uh, you can't you can't fault the defense. Quincy Williams, the the AFC Defensive Player of the Month, and some of the some of the guys in defense have been absolutely incredible. And they did clock the ball with one second left. Thank God. Uh, so yeah, can't can't complain about the Jets. They got the W and are somehow four and three. Yeah, no, and 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 if just for funsies, if you want to go look on ESPN, where the percentage of winning the game graph. Yeah is was like 99.9% for the Giants, and then all of a sudden it flips at the end. Um, yeah, so a few thoughts. One, the defense, even though the Giants are terrible, and even though they had a third-string quarterback, and even though, you know, they never passed the ball and all these other things, the defense is immaculate. I mean, it's just immaculate. Like, they don't do, you know, they, they I mean, they the only time the Giants scored is this one series right after the half where they decided to have like three big penalties which was yeah. that needs to be cleaned up but even more than the defense my god the punting of thomas morstad just set up the defense he punted he, he dropped three within the five yard line it was like 
it was like he laid them down there like they were like pitching wedges. Um, it was unbelievable. Um, and the kicking of Zerline, they have the best punter and kicker in the league. I mean, and that helped win the game. Um, and Zach Wilson, who was terrible for 59 minutes and 30 seconds, was phenomenal in the last drive of the fourth quarter and in the overtime. And one thing I would recommend to everyone who's interested, go on YouTube. And there are a few guys who put those 11 by 11 films on there where they show all the players. And if you see some of the films of the end of the game, the, some of the passes were were like spot on. I mean, Matt, your your thoughts on uh, the 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 offense, the defense, and the special teams? Yeah. So just quick hitters here. Uh, the the defense. There was a couple two guys who stood out to me. Obviously, Quincy Williams. I shouted out earlier, but Bryce Huff and Jermaine Johnson the second. Uh, both. I mean, Bryce Huff has like a thirty percent pressure rate, which is like unseen in the NFL. Jermaine Johnson's been getting after the quarterback. He had two sacks. Finally, getting pay dirt, but has been pressuring the quarterback all season long. The special teams, I think the Jets have always had terrible special teams. So to finally see uh, Morstead and Zerline finally be consistent and good for them is is great. And yeah, the, the offense has a lot of issues, but when you have playmakers like Garrett Wilson and Lazard's okay and and some of the, you know, Conklin and Hall's great, but, you know, I think Garrett Wilson can help erase some of those mistakes. But yeah, yeah. solid performance um, and... A lot going forward. Tremendous amount of injuries on the line. They didn't really do much at the trading de deadline. Hopefully, Dwayne Brown and Tipman come back. That'll help. But Garrett Wilson, um, as both Avery and Matt know, who went to college with him, um, is phenomenal. And Garrett Wilson, like, made plays. Like, it didn't even seem like he got the ball that much. But every play he made was like a 10 or 15-yard play, even if he got the ball just on a check down, which was unbelievable and and really won the game for them late in the game i think the other thing the, the another big disappointment for me was you know other than the Brees hall run which was great how they called plays was a little odd they didn't really use the tight ends other than the one great fake play in the middle of the game and they didn't really use all these other guys who they said they were going to use like gibson and and ruckert and you know whatever so i mean I think they're going to have to clean up a lot before the San Diego, the uh, Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers game. Yeah, they moved, but no, I agree with you. And I think, I think the big problem is, and and obviously want to want to move on from this topic, but a big problem with Zach Wilson is his internal clock is very off. He doesn't really know how to time things correctly, and when you have a quarterback who can't really process quickly, a lot of plays just inherently can't develop so i think it's something right. hackett's gonna have to take especially into consideration especially with the line being the shambles that it was with the injuries yeah. in the center yeah. and <laughs> but i will say that he he made up for it in those last plays and there's something to be said for rolling him out a little earlier in the game too yeah. that he seems to play better in the rush set so we move on from the giants game jets are four and three and they're playing the Chargers on Monday Night Football that uh, I think Matt's going. Yep. We have a huge Chargers fan here in Mr. Avery. So, Avery, tell us about the Chargers season and what you see as uh, things they can do against the Jets. I mean, as a Chargers fan, and obviously everyone in the NFL is pretty well known to our bad luck and circumstances that we go through on a yearly basis of a team who's great on paper but never seems to ever make the, the cut 
to make uh, to be a great team. Um, this year has been kind of the same as usual. We started the year off with two games that we definitely should have won. Lost a tough one to the Dolphins at home where J.C. Jackson, who thank goodness he's off the team now, uh, kind of just gave the game away to the Dolphins where he got smoked by Tyreek Hill. Tyreek set like NFL records on that game. Um, and the following week, messed it up with the Titans where you led most of the game and then the defense let us down. Obviously, that's been a kind of a trend of the season where our defense has not played very well, uh, especially late in the games. Um, came back, had a nice win against the Vikings on the road and then beat the Raiders at home, which, uh, again, another great first half that we have, but almost gave the game away in the second half. Another trend that we usually like to do. Um, follow that up with another Monday night game, lost to the Cowboys, where just uh, defensively, I, I thought we played pretty well. It was probably our best defensive game of the year so far, besides this past week against the Bears, who were just atrocious. That was just not yeah. fun to watch as a football fan. But Dallas game offense did not play very well. And of course, against the Chiefs on the road, that's yeah. most teams in the league don't have a chance against them. So uh, this year has been quite an up and down. Last week, get a nice little bounce back win. Hopefully, get some confidence going into this this tough game. But what do you think is the big the big issue, Avery, for the for the Chargers? Uh, by far, it's been the defensive side of the ball, most specifically the the secondary. I would say, I would say, uh, our corners and safeties have not performed nearly to what they should be, uh, which is kind of disappointing. How Brandon Staley is supposed to be some defensive specialist as a head coach and. In the last three years, the defense has been the issue. Our offense has been tremendous. I think there's a stat where Justin Herbert, if the defense holds a team to 28 points or less, he's winning like 80% of the games, which yeah. that shouldn't be too hard to ask for NFL defense to hold a team under 28 points, at least most games. Yeah, and, and then let's be honest. I mean, unless the Jets get defensive touchdowns, they're not going to score 28. I mean, unless they're, it's, you know, they just haven't done that. But what the Jets have done is held teams. So I'm curious – if you think that uh, Justin Herbert and you know and 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 Keenan Allen and everyone is going to be able to pass against the Jets, I would say it, it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be tough on the road. Obviously, the, the Jets crowd is going to be going crazy. They're they're right in the thick of things in right now. That's going to yeah. be a hostile environment. The Jets fans are going to be out and about. Um, obviously, Keenan Allen is going to be consistent. He's going to get his every game because he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. But I think the keys are the other guys, the Josh Palmers, who was questionable for the game, the yeah. Quentin Johnstons, who finally came out of the show last week, the rookie, who actually had a few catches. So I think it's going to be the, the other guys besides Keenan Allen that are going to be the big difference. What about Eckler? How has Eckler been, and what do you think he can do against the Jets? He, I've been always 50, 50 on Eckler. I think that he's – a, a better half running back in the NFL, but I don't think he's as great as people think he is. I think they use those fantasy points that everybody cares about so much to yeah. kind of rank him so high. But as an effective runner, I don't, I don't trust him all that much. He's great out of the backfield for, for dump downs and stuff, but this year he's just kind of been up and down. Like last week, he might look great, like had a nice big long touchdown catch, but the rest of the game he struggled kind of running the ball. And obviously we're missing our center, Corey Lindsley, right now, who's been out for a yeah. couple of He's been kind of the leader of our offense. So that's, that's been pretty difficult. Obviously, it's kind of tough to run without that. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because the Eagles came in to play the Jets, and, and it was the game that Sauce Gardner and, and DJ Reed were out. So they thought they were going to pass like crazy. And what ended up happening was they, they sort of went away from the running game. And that hurt them because they went a little too pass happy. They threw some interceptions and the Jets have actually, the defense, the one sort of hole is if you have a really good runner, they've been, you know, except, I mean, the Giants couldn't do anything. But 
generally, you know, if they can get Eckler out in space, that would be good for them. But if they're going to try and go over the top the whole time, it's going to be tough, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The Chargers, obviously their pass offense is very good against the Jets. I think the Chargers like sixth passing offense versus the Jets is fifth in defense, but both teams are yeah. really bad on the running side of the game. So yeah. that's going to be the big difference. If the Chargers can actually establish some kind of running game, then maybe they'll open things up. But again, the Jets secondary is just so good, it, it might not make a difference. Yeah, Matt, what do you think of the Chargers game? How do you perceive this game? Yeah, I'm, I've am i been thinking about this a lot this week. And honestly, like it's, it's weird because the Jets have this like strange momentum. It just the, – the Jets' offense is just – it's just not going at all. And I think you can say, oh, Brees, Brees Hall this, Brees Hall that. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's not only just the creative play calling. The, the They're getting bailed out by guys like Garrett Wilson, by some of these like ticky-tack plays. And the Jets' offense just d- didn't generate anything in that Giants game against a Giants defense that frankly isn't that good. Um, so that's an area of concern for me. I think the second area of concern is in watching Justin Herbert this year and his weapons is Herbert is in that – probably the best pure pocket passer the Jets are going to face all year. And even with a, a, st- a stout pass defense, Herbert, he can improvise. He can, you know, scramble out of the pocket. They they creatively scheme it up for him. So it's he's super talented, and I'm a little worried because the Jets play this very, you know, very not, not necessarily a heavy blitz like Wink Martindale did with the Giants, but they, they tend to kind of be overzealous sometimes with the pass rush, and I think Herbert can really hurt them in, in that aspect. Avery, what do you think on that front? Do you think that that can happen there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Herbert's been very good against the blitz, which happens more times than not because our offensive line has just been so up and down kind of the last couple of years. So Herbert's kind of been used to having guys in his face and being able to deliver throws. So obviously if the Jets can kind of sit down and, and stay solid as a defense. That'll definitely help them. Yeah, I think the one thing for the Jets will be interesting. I, I think Matt – they did nothing against the Giants. There was no offensive line at all. They could not pat run block at all. The only way that Brees Hall got in the yards was on short passes. So, I mean, it, one dependency for the Jets is what kind of offensive line shows up in the game. I think the so I think that side of the ball is going to be interesting to see. I think the Chargers will be able to move the ball on the Jets. The question is, will they be able to score? Because, you know, they don't, no more Mike Williams. I know he's out for the season. That was sort of their deep threat. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see this. Like you said, Matt, I agree with this. This is probably the best pocket passer they're facing. I mean, they pasted, you know, Hurts and Mahomes who sort of scramble around. Um, so this will be an interesting game. And uh, I think, you know, look, the Jets are on a bit of a roll. Um, now, it hasn't been pretty in any stretch of it. But uh, the defense has been great, and the special teams have been great. So we'll see. So let's start with Matt. Matt, what do you see as a prediction for this game? Yeah, I I think it's going to be low scoring. Uh, Jets obviously with the home field advantage. I'll be there, so that's that's a good thing. Weirdly enough, even though the Jets have this momentum, I still see the Chargers squeaking it out. And I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but. I just like the Jets offense just doesn't seem like it's giving me a lot right now. And I think the Chargers are kind of ready to, to have a nice breakout game. And, and this could be the place to do it at MetLife on Monday Night Football. So I'll go Chargers maybe like 21, 21-20, I'll say. All right. Avery, what do you think? It's awful generous of you, Matthew, to, to give the Chargers yeah. a win there. Um, 
I, I'm in a similar boat as you. I think the game could be very interesting. The defenses will be uh, kind of keeping the game close the entire time. Uh, whether that be because they're, they're good or bad, I, th- I think it could go either way. Um, it, I would like to say the Chargers will win because this will be a huge game for us because we have a difficult schedule coming up. We got to go play. We play Detroit and we have Baltimore coming up two of the next three games. So this would be a very important game for us to get a win because. I mean, even at three and four right now, we're sitting second in the division technically right behind Kansas City, who has shown that they're a little vulnerable this year after that bad loss to the Broncos last year. Yes, yes. So I'm going to take the Chargers 24-21, but I could easily see them dominating the first half and then second half the Jets just taking off. So, okay, so we have two Chargers now. I'm always the optimist, and I usually take the Jets, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this a conditional pick. It's a very simple pick. If the Jets' defense or special team scores a touchdown, the Jets will win. I think the Jets' (laughs) offense will score one touchdown, and they'll get a few field goals. So I either see the Jets winning like 24-17 or losing – 17 to 10. How's that? So either if the defense or special teams get a touchdown, the Jets will win. That that's so I'm I'm hedging a little, but um it's a it's a look, it's a very close, it's like a three-point point spread. The Jets are never favored. They were favored against the Giants. And and you know, I mean the Jets have have you know run off. I mean, every game the Jets have played this year has been like, except for the Dallas and New England games, have been like, and even New England was close, like thrillers, like the most exciting endings. And, you know, even when they lost to Kansas City, they didn't even move the Jets out of Sunday night football against the Raiders next week because the three Jets games against Kansas City, the Raiders, and the Eagles were the highest rated games of the year, even without Aaron Rodgers and everything. Um, Pretty crazy. So... Uh, so I have a conditional pick, so we'll leave it at that on the Jets. Now, Avery, we're also it's perfect you're here because the next subject is the Knicks, and the Knicks have started out and they've been like up and down, I think is my assessment of the Knicks, but they just played a two game series. And the Cavs, I do think there are some things for concern in the beginning of the Knicks season, but Matt, why don't you start us off with the Knicks and then we'll talk about the Knicks Cavs series? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to tune into both games, I've watched the Knicks games this year and and it's it's the Knicks it's a lot of the same themes from last year that I think are transpiring this year part of which because they didn't really do anything in the offseason besides add Dante DiVincenzo some other very low-level bench guys uh so it's like the Knicks didn't really change that much they kept Thibodeau and I think it's kind of reflective of the problems of last year carrying over to this year where there's, you know, certain issues with with passing the ball. I think Randall's been very disappointing. I think Barrett's a little up and down. Brunson's been solid, but it's it's one of those things that I think the Knicks kind of didn't really solve any of their problems in the offseason. Now it's coming back to bite them. Yeah, I, I'll just stay on the Knicks. And then, Avery, I want to push it to you on the Cavs series. But I, I think there's a few things going on there. They didn't make any big moves. They seem a little flat. Just yeah. in the beginning, it seems like Randall's good every other year because he's been terrible so far this year. Um, <laughs> I Barrett's been like okay. I, I don't yeah. think that's the issue. He's missed a few games. Uh, Brunson's Brunson. I think DiVincenzo 
is sort of a, a fine upgrade from Obi. Like he's definitely better than Obi was. And he's, he's sort of a uh, moves the ball around, but he's like, sort of looks like one of those guys who's like a good high school player still. Now he's great. You know, he's an NBA level talent, but, and I thought the, and, and the, Avery, this is where I'll transition to you. I thought that the two Cavs games were sort of the first night, the Cavs were terrible. And the second night, the Knicks were really flat. And it was like the home and home. And Avery, what is your, sort of sense of those games and where the Cavs are this year too. I would say the Cavs were a very similar situation as the Knicks where didn't make too many big splashes in the offseason, just added a couple role players to maybe sure of the bench because that was obviously the big issue with the Cavs last year was yeah. their bench players that, that really showed during the Knicks series in the playoffs where once the, the starters came out, that the Knicks backups were, were much, much better. Um, especially Manuel Quickly, who I'm a huge fan of his game. Quickly, yeah, he's played well. He's been good. I, I, I think he should win Sixth Man of the Year this year as long as he stays consistent. Yeah. Obviously, he finished second last year, yeah. so I think this year is his year if he can stay consistent. But the Cavs are a very similar situation. Obviously, they're very banged up right now without Garland, without uh, Jared Allen, or two of their starters. So you're just kind of steadying the ship as much as possible until you can get those guys back as healthy as possible. Cause you know what you're going to get out of Donovan Mitchell. So it's kind of a Evan Mobley, see if he can step up and play well, get some of your new guys like the Max Struces. Uh, if Karis LeVert can play well for them, which he played well in the second game, obviously, uh, which was a big help for them. So we're kind of in the same boat here in terms of the roster. Yes. Cleveland looks like they got a little, little stronger. If you're at full strength, like Max Struce was a good addition actually. Yeah. I like Struce. Yeah, he was he was he's played well. I mean, but once again, I don't think they made it. They they did anything to make it to the next level, you know. And that's yeah. uh, Matt. What your thoughts on those Cavs games? And yeah, the the Cavs games. I think it was like you were saying that that up and down nature. And the Knicks were were better on the first night. The Cavs were better on that second night. Obviously, uh, the Cavs not at full strength. So that's the the caveat there. But. I when I think about this, and I'll po- obviously pose this statement to you guys as well. But when I look at the Knicks and the Cavs, it's like both teams are very primed to to make big acquisitions. And with the Cavs, I feel that they have a good collection of younger players on favorable contracts. And the Knicks kind of have they don't have obviously favorable play like Randall's on a terrible contract, but they have kind of a mix of guys they that they can throw. Yeah. They have assets. They have trade assets. They have Fournier's expiring contract. Those are like of all the teams in the NBA, those two, like the Knicks and the Cavs have a lot of wiggle room to kind of make a splash for a big player uh, later in the season, potentially. Yeah, I agree. Avery, your thoughts on that. And I'll give you a few thoughts. I'm in the same boat. It's, it's kind of one of those things where obviously both teams are starting off a little slow right now. So we got to give it some time, but come around the trade deadline. I feel like if either team kind of, it feels like they're primed to make a run, then this is going to be the year to do it. Obviously, the Cavs with Mitchell, his deal is up after this year, so we don't know what what the circumstances are going to be with that. Yeah. So if you really want a chance to win, you better go in on this year because next year you don't know what could bring. So if they think they yeah. have a chance to do it, you got to go all in on it. So here's the issue, though, I think, with both of the teams. And first of all, it's good that neither team went for James Harden. So that's a, <laughs> that's a good thing. 100% agree on that. Right. And the Clippers is like a free-for-all sort of situation. And, and I don't know how that's going to work The team out. would have been great in 2013. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, that's a good way to look at it. But – yeah, the pro, you know, the problem around the NBA now is who's actually going to be available to help either of these teams, and I think that's why the Knicks stood pat. Like, I don't think it's a great move to go all in on like Carl Anthony Towns or something, 
And even like when Drew Holiday was available, that's not exactly the guy who would sort of move either of the teams to the next level. Um, So, you know, like they both made these sort of incremental moves. They're probably both in sort of the the lower half of the playoff bracket for the East, you know, as they are now. Uh, But I don't see any of them, either of them beating, you know, Boston or Milwaukee and probably not, you know, Philadelphia. We don't know what that's going to be. So uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Now, here's a question for both of you guys. NBA starting the in-season tournament tomorrow. What do we start with Avery on this one? What what do you think that's going to be like? You know, it's your guess is as good as mine at this point, honestly. (laughs) I'm super excited, obviously. The Cavs play at 7 o'clock and the Knicks are at 7.30, so both games will be on. Uh, Who do the Cavs play? We play the Pacers the first round. So, obviously obviously a young team that could give some fits (laughs) if you don't play well. Um, But, yeah, this – this in-season tournament, obviously, they're they're trying to go with the European soccer model. I feel like it's a mix of yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird it's a weird sort of thing. And Matt, let me just jump in, and I want to hear your opinion. But it, the timing of it is interesting because this is the time you know you don't have NFL playoffs. It's not quite college football playoffs. It's sort of the beginning of the season. It adds a little something to the beginning of the season. It's weird. The Knicks play Milwaukee in Milwaukee, but they've already played Milwaukee in Milwaukee once. You know, it's like one of those strange things. Matt, so I'm not sure where this goes. Matt, what do you think? I So first, I'll comment on the court designs for some of these teams right. on Twitter. It was like, it looked like Candyland. It was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but secondarily, it's like, I, I think there, this is kind of a test year, and Adam Silver has yeah. alluded to this. He's a very good commissioner. But I think they're kind of figuring this out for maybe some competitive advantages. It's for some teams. I don't know how the future formats will work, but I don't. I don't think this is a one-year thing. I think they're going to reformat it to figure it out, uh, kind of like All-Star games of the past and some other competitive advantages, maybe in baseball. So we'll see what this does. But hey, the NBA is trying to be innovative. Yeah, and I'm all I, I like that they're trying to be innovative. It's interesting, and and like the Friday games count as regular season games anyway. Yeah. It's going to be just interesting how pe- these teams handle those like semifinals in Las Vegas, which don't count for anything but the tournament. So you're right. It's they're trying to be innovative. It's an experiment experiment that will change. Speaking of formats that are going to change this year, we are in the last year of the college football playoff system as it is. And to, I, I, at least to my surprise, when they had the first rankings on Tuesday, Ohio State was at number one. And what I surmise from what I saw, and then both of you Ohio State graduates who were on the phone with me um, or on the Zoom with me, I thought that, you know, they actually are setting a precedent to take into consideration good wins rather than teams that, you know, just sort of look like they're good, you know, like understand Ohio State beat Penn State the week before Penn State beat UMass 63 nothing, and they look great. And then they played Ohio State. Matt, your thoughts on the uh, rankings and uh, sort of where we are with that? Yeah, and, and and to be, it's a very objective assessment, even though I did go to Ohio State, love the team, but it, you can't, the college football playoff committee has, has always shifted their criteria around and I'm I'm actually happy this year they're finally taking into account that yeah we played two top ten teams and and beat them firmly and 
you know, I, I think some of these other schools, namely Michigan, namely, uh, you know, Georgia have looked good, but they haven't beaten really anybody of, of note. And I think when you play good teams, you should be ranked higher and beating those good teams. So I'm happy OSU's ranked one. Have they looked great in the process? Maybe not all the time, but we've beaten two very good teams uh, that are high up in the rankings and it, it's reflected in the, the CFP. Avery, your thoughts. I agree with that. Um, obviously, the eye test is a big deal to the committee and how well you're playing, how well they're watching these games. But at some point, you got to realize, like, it comes down to winning games at the end of the day. Like, it doesn't matter how are you winning these games. Like, Ohio State, obviously, they're not the most impressive team in the nation. They're winning these games with defense this year, which is very yeah. unlike them in the past. So it, they're winning these gritty games that are kind of like the old school Big Ten, where it's just kind of ground and pound kind of situation. And you know, teams are trying to get the best shot at you, which obviously teams have, have played well against us at, at some points. Like, obviously, the Penn State, if they didn't get that uh, that fumble called back on that holding call yeah. uh, with defense, that game could be completely different. And obviously, they started down 10 nothing to Maryland. So they struggled a lot this year. So it's kind of surprising to see the number one ranking. But it, like you said, Matt, the, the resume says it all. Like, you have two top 10 wins already. You're playing in really competitive conference. And honestly, Georgia hasn't really quite played anybody quite yet. And and nobody else has kind of showed that Michigan hasn't played anyone. No, exactly. They're, they're, I, I don't mean, think Michigan's they're number Michigan, one. Wait, so Matt and I are going to Matt's having, as you said, quite the football weekend. We're going to um, Rutgers on Saturday to see Ohio State in New Jersey uh, with our friend from Howard, who's a friend of the podcast. Um, and we are, um, we are, you know, it's interesting because Rutgers is six and two. I mean, they're they're one of the better non, you know, top three Big Ten teams. And ma even Maryland lost to Northwestern or something uh, last week, which is crazy. So we're going to have to see where that goes. But look, I mean, Ohio State, Marvin Harrison's juniors, great. And the defense, as you said, has been uh, great. Um, you know, so I think, Matt, I think I, I just want to get your last word on Ohio State, but I think they have a. You know, look, it's going to come down to the Michigan game, which it will. And and that's how the, the committee also thinks is they build that into it. So, yeah. And, and it's really something I remember me and Avery talking about in like 2021, 2020. It was just like Terry Coombs, the old cornerbacks coach. Great guy. But the the cornerback play, I think, has been really key for this defense because, yeah, the defensive linemen have made some steps. But like from where we were like three or four years ago to like, Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, Davison, Igbino son. I mean, the guys are so much better than the, the Sean Wades of the world and some of these other corners, uh, seven banks. It, it just, the, the talent and the coaching is just so much better than it was maybe even a few years ago. So um, very optimistic for, for OSU going forward. Yeah. So, so the big game we, we talked about, no, that's a good point, Matt. The big game we talked about is the Michigan game coming up right after Thanksgiving. Hopefully, Michigan will be able to play in that game. <laughs> um, and this is, I think we're into some serious territory here. Like, this isn't one of these, like, you know, I, I don't know what to compare it to, like, you know, deflating the footballs or whatever. The, this is some serious stuff. And for people who are not familiar, Michigan had been sending a guy to rival Big Ten schools to take pictures of the signs. Not probably the most comparable is to the Astros in baseball would probably be the most comparable. Um, I'll start with you, Avery. Where do you think this goes, if anywhere? It's crazy because it seems like there's new developments every day. 
Like college football Twitter has been unbelievable in investigating these random games from like three or four years ago. My, <laughs> my friend told me a joke. He said, if, if we would have had these college football Twitter guys searching for Bin Laden, we would have found him in a week. Like it's crazy <laughs> how much you, these guys have been figuring out. Like pictures of this guy randomly wearing these glasses that have a light on them that supposedly have cameras in them. Like, <laughs> so much investigative work. And I feel like this goes deeper than maybe what we think. And I don't think they're the only team that has partaken of something like this, but the fact that they did it so sloppily and lazily and left the paper trail is what's really hilarious. I know guys. it's crazy. Matt, what, what is your thoughts? Yeah. From just echoing Avery sentiment, just reading a lot of these tweets, it's like, and even doing my own research in the athletic came out with an article where they uh, surveyed all the coaches, about 50 division one coaches. And it, it's it, the evidence is there. Obviously there's a lot of internal investigation going on things we're not privy to, but supposedly the big tens meeting tonight again, I think the NCAA moves like snails. I think they're going to be very slow to the slow to the, the game, but I think there's a lot of pressure on the big 10 to act. I know there's a lot of media rights and TV rights, things that are, in play here but uh if you're the big 10 you, you're you're bringing in a lot of exciting teams into the conference you got to keep some sort of unity and if you're if you, i forget what the guy's name is, is the new commissioner but if you're kind of enabling this behavior then you're telling the other member teams of the league that you just frankly don't care so i expect the big 10 to move on this pit pretty swiftly uh not sure what the outcome will be but i think it will know more in the next coming days all right, so to close the show, I'm going to give each of you a fill in the blanks and you 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 fill in the blanks for me and I'll start with Avery. In 2024, Jim Harbaugh will be coaching blank. Ooh, I, as soon as you said his name, I knew it was going to be somebody different. Uh right now, can I pick two teams? Yeah. I'm going to take either the Chicago Bears or the Las Vegas Raiders. Those are my two teams that I'm going to stay with. There you go. Matt, same question. Ooh. Uh just to just to spite Avery here, I'm gonna say he's gonna be the coach of the LA Chargers next year. Ah, ah you know, and, and as much as I don't like Jim Harbaugh as a Michigan guy, I think he's a very good coach. Didn't he play for the Chargers at one point? I he, think he's he very short stint for the Chargers at one and, point. And just so <laughs> and just so people know this, go back into like Peacock or something. There's an episode of Saved by the Bell where he screeches cousin. Uh, <laughs> and he's actually on there, probably from like 1990. So we'll leave it at that. Jets, Chargers, Ohio State, Rutgers, Knicks, Cavs, NBA tournament. Um, lots, lots going on this weekend. Lots last weekend. Uh, hopefully the Jets stay on a roll. But uh, Avery, thank you for joining us as a guest potter um and uh matt great to see you as always and uh everyone who listens thank you we love the feedback we love that you listen so uh keep listening thanks everyone thanks thank you guys appreciate it